Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about it in relationship to what's going on, not only in the world, but in the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is not supposed to be of the world. It is to be in the world, but not of the world. So what did Christ mean when he said, in the world, but not of the world. Did he mean that we were not to be of the planet? Is that the word he used? No, it is not. Those of you who listen to us regularly know that that word means, because that's what it says in the concordance, the constitutional order or system of government. I didn't make that up. But that's what he's saying. We're not to be of the governments of the world. That's what that word means. And people have tried to debate this with me, but they lose every time because the evidence is overwhelming. Not only does it say that in the concordance, it says that in the origin of the word, where it comes from. It originally comes from camiso, which was a military word, which means the organized military. Now, if you go back in Roman history, say a hundred years or more before Christ, the Roman army was an all-volunteer army. Uh, it was not paid by the government, but it was organized. It was extremely well organized, and they learned that they need to be well organized because other guys got organized, and other guys were, you know, like when the uh, Teutons came down or when the uh, uh, Celts came down and uh, the Jutes came down from the north and invaded Rome because of some of the shenanigans of Romans going up north. This is long before they were empire. They were still a republic. They discovered that those Norsemen were about twice as big as the, <laughs> the, the average Roman soldier was a little five foot two guy. He wasn't very big. Uh, but some of those guys coming down from, uh, the north were big guys. And sometimes they came down uh, in cavalry, which were, you know, their cavalry we, we mentioned some of the Teutons when they charged with their cavalry. They could have literally three guys charging with these big plow horses and uh, one guy riding the horse and two other guys hanging on the mane with a sword, you know, one left-hander, one right-hander. <laughs> and so they were a formidable foe when they come charging at you because uh, they would, uh, and also the Romans were much smaller, much shorter. Uh, in stature, uh, which is why they did a lot of exercise on a regular basis as Roman centurions. Now, again, we've talked about Roman centurions. Most of the Roman centurions never, ever pulled their sword in battle during their careers. And their careers eventually, when it was no longer just an all-volunteer militia, it it became this uh, uh, economic as well as military force and uh it was their their attempts to organize like when they were going up to mine uh gold in Spain, what became eventually Spain, they went up there and it was a heavily financed operation through the temple of Janus, and what it was was that you invested money in the temple of Janus, people wrote it down, 
And then they redistributed that money to a well-organized system that was put together where some people were working for shares, some people were just uh, going along because they had invested money, and they went up to Spain and they literally hydraulically mined a mountain out of existence. They built dams with the local population, paying them with some of those funds that they brought up and trade goods that they bought and brought with them. They set up uh, roads so they could get back and forth easily. They were all armed because it was a republic and everybody had the responsibility of protecting the operation. They learned to organize that militia in a well-regulated fashion from the ground up because they had a system of hearths which were like the tens, hundreds, and thousands of Israel. Why did they look so much like the tens, hundreds, and thousands of Israel when they were organized 500 years before Christ as a republic and had had their civil war and thrown out the Tarquinian kings See, if you don't know history, you don't know how Rome got to where it was. How did it get to its prominence? How did it end up with all this gold and trade and ships plying the, not only the Mediterranean, but around in the Atlantic Ocean, going all the way up and trading with Norwegians and Swedes? How were they doing that? And how were they so successful compared to all the other nations surrounding the Mediterranean? It's because they were a republic. They believed in the Libera Res Publica philosophy that Tacitus would eventually say could never be. Could never be because of the selfishness of mankind. And of course, that's what Moses was teaching Israel. is how to be a government of the people, for the people, and by the people without ushering in tyranny because we know what ushers in tyranny or those of us who have studied history knows what uh, ushers in tyranny and Polybius said it 150 years before the absolute demise of the republic even though they continued to call themselves a republic they weren't functioning as a republic anymore but he said the people had become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others and were degenerating again into perfect savages. Now that's 150 years before Christ, uh, about 100 years before the rise of the first people to actually become imperators in Rome, which means commanders-in-chief. We took about a 100 and uh, well, a couple hundred days and we were already thinking about setting up a commander-in-chief in the United States of America when we created the United States of America. And I say we, I shouldn't say we, I should say we the people. And if you want to know who we the people are, you simply look at the bottom of the document and see who signed it. Because at that time, that was the totality of we the people. Everybody who signed in to the camiso of the United States Constitution. That was the we the people. Those guys who signed it at the bottom. Later on, other people signed on, took oaths to abide by the Constitution. And that was senators, congressmen, and employees of the United States federal government. People say that 
you know, the United States became a corporation in uh, 1870, what was it, 71, 72, somewhere around there. After the Civil War, they just suddenly illegally made the United States a corporation. By the definition of a corporation, the United States was a corporation with the Constitution. Now, if I would say that it was a corporate corporation, a lot of people will argue with that. And there is an argument against that uh, because of the fact you have to define what a corporation is, what a corpus is. A corporation is two or more people gathered together under a pre-existing authority as if it was one person. That's one definition of a corporation. That's a very fundamental definition of a corporation. It's been around for a long time. You want to know more about that, you can read some of our articles at Preparing You on corporations on the golem. The golem is an ancient Jewish monster, supposedly, created out of clay and can walk around doing the will of its master. And if you read the symbolism in the story of the golem, you will understand that they're just talking about a corporation, which is as old as Assyria and in many of these ancient countries. They simply made an agreement to create an entity in clay. They they put in their terms in clay, baked the clay, and that was the golem. That was the corporation. And it can be used for good or bad, depending on the spirit of those who control the golem, the the corporation. And when uh, the United States was created by the states, the pre-existing authority of the states was a very limited authority because the states were all theoretically republics to a greater or lesser degree. They weren't all identical. They all had different constitutions, uh, but they... They were basically republics because they existed by the consent of the free man. And the power of sovereignty was not in the states. There wasn't the sovereign state of Virginia. There was the colony become state by the permission of the people and also by the acquiescence of the people. And eventually the United States was created by the states And if you go read our book on contracts, covenants, and constitutions, you will see the process of how this was done. Was it done legally? Was it done by the states ratifying the constitution? Or was it done by acquiescence? Well, it was done by all those three things. And it created the United States federal government, which was separate from the states. And historians agree. Uh, lawyers originally teaching constitutional law agreed that even after the Constitution of the United States was put into place, the states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. And all the citizens of America were citizens of individual states or natural inhabitants within the states. But the states were republics. Even Jefferson refers to the to the counties as republics. And the wards within the counties as republics. 
And the military was mostly the militia, which included, at least now by statute, the militia includes every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45. That's by the statutes of the United States. It isn't because you signed up for the militia. It's because you're between the ages of 17 and 45 and you're able-bodied. You're already a member of the militia. You may not be well-regulated, which means not regulated by the federal government, not regulated even by the states, but well-organized. You may not be well-organized. Now, how do you get well-organized as a militia? A lot of people think you buy a bunch of camo, camo and you walk around in the woods and you elect officers and and you set up a militia. But that isn't how the original militia got well organized. You know how it got well organized? If there was a fire, everybody turned out for the fire to put it out. If there was a famine, everybody shared in the well organized community with food banks and and distributions of food and assistance and aid to one another. How else did they get organized? They built roads into their community and they built roads from their communities to other communities so that they could trade with those other communities because some communities would have uh, good crops of wheat and some would have good crops of corn. Some would have uh, crops of fish and and beef and some would make whiskey and some would and they wanted to trade with those different communities because if you're a homesteader I saw one of the ministers put together a list of a lot of things that people could do to become more self-sufficient and shared it with the other ministers and those ministers can share it with their people they some people some of the ministers commented they thought it was a good list but the reality is you can't make everything as a homesteader, you need to be able to trade with others. So they needed roads to do that. That's what, you know, Daniel Boone was a surveyor. Primarily, he was a surveyor to make roads. He didn't just wear a coonskin cap and die at the Alamo. He actually was a, a road maker. And you need roads for trade. You also need roads for military, and of course, everybody was in the militia. Everybody between the ages of 17 and 45. And, and back then, it was probably between 17 and 65. <laughs> if you were still able-bodied at 65, you were part of the militia. But what were some of the other things that helped organize the militia? That That was, they built schools. When William, uh, you know, when Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson... Not William Jefferson, <laughs> William Jefferson Clinton. Thomas Jefferson wanted to set up public schools in Virginia and proposed a bill that did not pass, but he pro- proposed a bill. He wasn't setting up schools like you think of public schools. He wa- wanted a school built in every ward within walking distance of all the families within that ward. 
And how were they going to fund that? How were they going to build? Was he going to tax somebody to do that? Now they, Madison had already had the idea of setting aside certain land when they came to land that was not settled and had set aside certain land that was there whenever people come into a township and settle certain sections of the township would be set aside for public use, educational use. It wasn't from taxes. It was just set aside as a matter of habit by everybody. And before that, they had used only meets and bounds. You know, somebody would go out in the wilderness, cut down a bunch of trees, and they'd go from this rock to this tree to this corner of the river, and they had meets and bounds. If you go back east and you're a surveyor, you're going to have to learn how to do meets and bounds because a lot of land is still set up that way to the peak of this hill, to the rock at this quarry, to whatever. And these are the way they mark off property. But when you start going farther to the west, you start seeing straight lines. And uh, it's based on this surveying concept. And it worked really good across the plains. It was a little harder to do when you get across the mountains. <laughs> but the, but that was, uh, they figured out a way of doing it. And it's a way in which we divide up the property. But some land was set aside for education, not by taxation. We just said that was a good idea and everybody thought it was a good idea. And they built schools on those lands. And sometimes eventually when they started building bigger schools instead of the the image that Jefferson had, of a little local one-room schoolhouse built by the militia through voluntary labor, and they would cut down the trees on the very property that they were going to build the school and build these log house schools. They were doing that already. But he wanted to get more organized, and he wanted a statute to help people organize that. It wasn't like you were going to get arrested like they do now where somebody just makes up a rule and you get arrested in your car sitting there listening to the radio at a church parking lot. And uh, when you question the the power of the police to do that, they say, well, the constitu- your constitutional rights are suspended by the governor. This shows a huge ignorance in society that they think that governors can simply suspend the federal constitution and seize power over the people by simply an executive order. Now, I agree with the desire and intent of those people who bring up the fact that our rights were granted to us by God, not by the Constitution. And the powers in the Constitution granted by the states to the federal government in the originality of the Constitution were limited by the Constitution. They weren't granting rights to the people. Like you, the Constitution has granted you the right to bear arms. They granted you the right to form a well-regulated militia. In other words, a well-organized militia. That wasn't granted to you by the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. That's not what it was doing. But I will also take you a step further in your history. You may have waived certain rights. You may have bound yourself in the elements of the world, that constitutional order or system of government. 
So you may still have those rights, but you cannot get to them from where you are at. You know, somebody in prison has the right to liberty, but he is barred from liberty because of what he has done. He has become a threat to society. I don't have the right to shoot you. But if you pull out a gun and say, I'm about to kill your daughter, or I'm about to kill you, or I'm about to kill those people over there sitting in having a picnic in the park, I get to pull out my gun and shoot you. You still have the right to life, but you do not have a right to take the life of others. So have you been taking the life of others and thereby lost rights or access to rights that were granted you by God because you usurp the rights of others? Have you done that? Well, actually, if you really study history and what's going on in the world, you may discover that you have done that. And that's what is the the bad news about the good news. The bad news about the good news is that you haven't been listening to the good news or following the good news. You've been following the preachers who have been sitting in the churches tickling your ears. And so now you're shocked when a police officer says you don't have a right to park in your car in the church parking lot. Now, that that event that took place down south, the pastor was a black fellow kind of a large guy, looked like he was kind of big anyway. And he was very articulate that these rights were given to us by God. And that cop did not understand that he did not have the right to take away those rights given to them by God because the governor says so. But I'm telling you that he may have had the right to do that to some degree because of what the people have done. But now, Barr and uh, the federal government came along and blocked that and said, no, they don't have the right to take away those inalienable rights of that church to gather in that assembly. But their reason was because they did not do it equally to all the other businesses in town. Now they're equating the church with a business. Uh, such as uh, restaurants or grocery stores that they allowed, and liquor stores where they allowed people to assemble uh, with more contact, and they they were they were treating the church differently and, and with more draconian measures. It didn't say they couldn't do this to the church; it just said they had to do it equally across the board. Now, people thought. That was a win, and it was the uh, and to some degree it was temporarily because they now get to have their church meeting, but it's their church meeting. It's not Christ's church meeting. Now, now I'm not picking on the individuals. I'm just saying there's more to Christ's meeting, and that's what these people are discovering. There's more to having those inalienable rights granted by God because God also granted you the responsibility. That goes along with those rights. And we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom so you can understand why we are where we are at today. 
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about the body of the world. And the world is the organized system and constitutional orders of men. And those constitutional orders of men are created by covenants, contracts, and constitutions. And there's lots of different ways to create covenants, contracts, and constitutions. The United States Constitution was created by this document we call the U.S. Constitution. Or the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution for the United States. But basically, that document granted power to a group of men who are going to act as a single body that we call the United States that was foreign to the states. You were a citizen of the individual state that you were lived in and that individual state that you lived in was as foreign to each other, I'm quoting here right out of Clark's summary of U.S. American law, were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. So you were from Virginia, and Virginia had signed the Constitution and had sent men from Virginia to the United States to represent Virginia in the United States, which was a separate entity outside of the states. Now, the federal government ended up owning some property in the states. And eventually, you know, when we got to Theodore Roosevelt, he went around in states that had not yet... How did a state prove up the land within a state? People had to occupy it. Because the states were republics, they couldn't just go and occupy land. I mean, it's like, we don't understand how all these things fit together in law. Like the Louisiana Purchase. Everybody's heard, well, not everybody hasn't probably heard of the Louisiana Purchase. But supposedly, the United States purchased the, this land from Louisiana all the way up to the headwaters of the Mississippi. It was a huge tract of land that covers many, many states today or were in that Louisiana purchase. They purchased that from Napoleon. Well, how did Napoleon own all that? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. There, there were British people up there. There were Americans up there. There were Indians up there. They just bought all that land and now they own it? No, they, what they did was bought all the rights and claims to little bits and pieces of that land and trade routes of that land from Napoleon, from the French. They paid him X amount of dollars and he waived his right or rights to whatever rights he may have established along the Mississippi River, all the way up this the headwaters of the Mississippi. And that was called the Louisiana Purchase. He didn't buy all that land and now he'd go just start farming anywhere. Other people lived on that land and have rights to it. it. Many of the Indian tribes had rights to those different territories. Now, the Indians lost a lot of their rights over the years for a variety of reasons. It wasn't all totalitarianism on the part of white Europeans. But there was injustice. Indians did unjust things. Whites did unjust things. 
and they couldn't come to agreement, so they ended up having trial by combat to resolve the issues and differences, and the Indians a lot of times lost. And one of the reasons the Indians a lot of times lost were they were already decimated by disease that came from Europe that they had no immunity to. And they had died. 80 to 90% of the Indian population in America died of diseases. Now, some estimates are a little bit lower. Some, like I say, 80 to 90. 90 is pretty high in my opinion. But there is no doubt whatsoever. I mean, the Mandan villages were absolutely decimated by uh, these diseases that came from Europe. Why did the Indians have a poor immune system? Was there something wrong with Indians? No. The reality is the Indians did not have these vast trade systems that you saw in Europe developing between uh, 900 and uh, 1500 uh, A.D. We had ships plying from all over. Marco Polo had gone to China and come back. And uh, that with these trade routes came communicable diseases that spread through Europe from the bubonic plague to all sorts of, you know, smallpox, all these things. The first evidence that there was a smallpox is when the Romans came from Carpathia way back. Well, uh, we go back in the way back machine. <laughs> and they brought something that appears to be like smallpox and wiped out half of the male population of Rome. Mostly the older people died. A lot of the younger people survived, but it was very hard on them. Those who survived had an immunity to smallpox. They not only had that, but they had a more robust immune system. Now, the, the, this is we see a virus now coming across America, or going all around the world, fast-traveling virus, and we've talked a lot about that, but... We're, the reality is that has always been taking place in the in this thing that we call the world. It's part of the life cycle of the world that you have these diseases that travel around and, and appear at, because they change and they come around. And what we call diseases are actually simply an identity problem. Whether it's bacteria or a virus, it all comes back to an identity problem. Something gets into you that does not belong in you, and it begins to replicate or uh, to, you know, in the case of bacteria, there will be cellular di- division and growth. In the can- case of cancer, it's an identity problem. Cancer cells are your cells taking off in a rebellious fashion, and growing separate from the plan that is in your body. And it can grow to the point where it kills you. It can grow and you can kill it. And that's usually what happens to 99% of the cancer cells that develop in your body for a variety of reasons all the time. Every day you probably produce a cancerous type cell. And every day your body kills these cancerous type cells. And the way they kill them is they turn them off because they say, you're not according to the plan. 
you're not according to the design. And you never know it because it's just little cells here and there. And it, and you've got whole armies, volunteer armies inside your body going around killing those cells, turning them off. And there's a number of different ways that your body does this. All built into your system. But it's an identity problem. Something's in you that is growing that is not according to the plan of your body. And your body regulates it because you have a well-regulated militia in your body putting an end, cutting off the food supply, cutting off the vitality of these cancer cells. Occasionally, they grow up, they become tumors or they become uh, multiple myelomas or whatever. And then you have a cancer problem because you see it. There's an invading army that is actually a part of your body that has changed sides and rebelled against the actual body that it gave it birth. And it's destroying that body from the inside. And now you go to a doctor and he says, well, we will make war for you. They're mercenaries going to make war for you against that cancer. And they do it with chemo. They do it with radiation and they do it with other means that they are going to kill that cancer in you, which is actually you out of control. And if they're successfully kill it before they kill you, they say they have cured the problem. The problem is, is that it grew up in you to begin with. Why did it grow up in you to begin with? So anyway... I took that little sidetrack with cancer so you can see that when we're studying the human body, when we're studying the human condition, all of the principles of creation and life are repeated over and over again at many, many different levels. So in the body of Christ, is there a militia? And how is it organized? Well, what is a militia? We think it's those guys in camo walking around in the woods with guns. That's not what a militia was. A militia built schools. A militia built roads into the community to service this community and to connect it with other communities. That's what the militia was doing. That's how they got together and knew each other. They didn't just isolate themselves on their little farm and go do their own thing like the home churches do. And, and and pretend that they're free people under God and nobody else matters. Because if you're a free person under God, everybody else matters. Because God, through Jesus Christ, said you had to love your neighbor as yourself equal to yourself that means you have to love his children equal to your children his grandchildren equal to your grandchildren the next generation that has not yet even been born equal to the next generation of your family that's that is your duty to god and therefore to fellow man Now, those of you who know that the definition of religion 200 years ago when the militia was building the public schools with voluntary labor, voluntary contributions, voluntary 
uh, uh, hiring of uh, teachers to contributions of the people to create a public school that everybody could go to because that's what made it public. It was made public, but it wasn't created with tax dollars. It was created, there was very little of tax dollars going to the creation of most public schools. Now, there were also private schools, but even the private schools like Harvard and Princeton, you could go to those schools if you couldn't afford the tuition, but you could do the work. In their charters, they had to provide an education for you. They were private schools, but they were open to the public if you came with certain values, Christian values, and certain academic abilities, and you had no money whatsoever, they would educate you. How did they survive doing that? There was no tuition that they were going to force you to pay. They were supported by alumni, by other people who thought education was important, and they trusted these men to pick young people to go to those schools, whether they could afford to or not. If they could afford to, they should would be expected to pay. If they could not afford to, but they could make the grade, they could go there for free. You had no student loans in America. But you could go to college if you had the ability to make the grade. Free of charge. No matter what your status was. All through volunteerism. How in the world were they doing that? They had a different spirit in them than we have in us today. We have the spirit that Polybius warned us about, which I just talked about in the first part of the show. We have become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for our livelihood, our education, our health care on the property of others so that we will tax our neighbor by men who exercise authority one over the other to obtain education, to obtain health care. So we have become degraded, degenerated. And because we have done this through the implementation of force, which Polybius goes on to say, and John the Baptist and Jesus Christ preached against, those men who exercise authority over our neighbors to provide us with all those benefits... They may show up someday in our church parking lot giving us citations for meeting against their will. And they can exercise authority one over the other because we gave them the power to exercise authority over our neighbor so that we could have free education, free health care, free fire departments, free police. We gave them that power and we applied to them for those benefits even though we knew that they were men who exercised authority one over the other to provide those benefits by taking a bite out of our neighbor which the Bible warns us in the New Testament be careful you do not bite one another lest ye be devoured. So that preacher down south that said our rights were given to us by God, what he failed to say is we gave our access to those rights away 
when we gave away the obligation of caring about our neighbor as much as we care about ourselves, providing education and health care to our neighbor through charity instead of force, through fear instead of love, through fealty instead of the voluntarism of early Christianity. So we lost access to our rights because we were willing to take away the rights of our neighbors to men we elect who exercise authority one over the other. Yes, the Constitution granted rights to the federal government. And yes, in 1870s and 1865 and through the Civil War when some states decided to fire upon federal property and some states decided to confiscate federal gold in their banks, deposited in their banks, just confiscated, they they created this thing called the Civil War because they were being selfish and not just. And they were, they ended up securing that unlawful right through trial by combat. And they lost. <laughs> and unfortunately, states' rights Diminished. All those southern states were conquered nations. Now, they were conquered by trial by combat. Many of the northern states were going to be conquered by covetous practices. And then, of course, now the southern states are engaged in the same covetous practices. The desiring of benefits at the expense of their neighbor. That is the wages of unrighteousness. Now, you can go look up wages of unrighteousness in the Bible. You can go read the Bible on our website at Preparing You, and you, where you find wages of unrighteousness. It'll take you to an article that explains the wages of unrighteousness are those benefits provided to force, fear, and fealty. Those wages will entangle you in the elements of the world that you're not supposed to be a part of. That that church pastor, maybe a great guy, I don't know him personally, may have lots of good Christian values, but he lacks knowledge. He does not have access to his inalienable rights because he's been violating the law. And I don't know about him personally, I don't know the details, but just guessing by the sheer numbers out there, his kids may be going to public school. He, his parents may be taken care of by Social Security, which is a government socialist program. And, and you probably don't, if, if you are shocked by that statement, go read our article on Social Security. Because we go to, you know, I've read the Social Security Act. At the time it was written, I've read the books by the guy who wrote it. I, I've, I've read the changes and why they had a right to make that changes. People saying, well, Social Security wouldn't be bankrupt today if they weren't stealing the money out of it. Nobody's stealing money out of it. There is no separation of funds. It, Social Security was created because we were already bankrupt and we've been bankrupt ever since. We just haven't declared bankruptcy entirely. We have, we've, we've gone into a lot of, again, when you use this term bankruptcy, are we talking on an international level 
Are we talking, you know, like the bankruptcy courts? We're talking about international level because we're talking about the federal government being bankrupt. It needed more collateral to keep borrowing money from the Federal Reserve. And that's something that, you know, I was going to eventually get to talk to you a little bit about. But I'll just mention it here. Just we'll put a tack in it that the Federal Reserve is like loaning a trillion dollars a day or something ridiculous like that almost to banks, uh, to businesses, through the United States government. I mean, the United States government is giving billions of dollars to the airlines. But what about all the little companies that support the airlines, you know, that, that sell fuel to it, that sell parts to it, that do maintenance on it? I mean, there's you go down to the airport and there's, a, there's rows of businesses near the airport that are providing services to the airport. They're being decimated. These are small businesses being swallowed up. And we just gave billions of dollars to the airlines. Now the airlines can go and buy those businesses and become more of a monopoly than they were before. Because we're not granting money to those small businesses, just to the big airlines. There's a huge amount of injustice going on. And the fact is, I would not want to be the president trying to sort all this out. Government can't do it. This we we've gone down a road that is a dead end road to destruction. Jeremiah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. It's all throughout the Bible. Ezekiel talks about it. We've gone down this road that is opposite of where Christ said to go. Christ said to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We're supposed to be working our salvation with fear and trembling. We're supposed to be taking care of one another through pure religion. Again, what was religion defined as 200 years ago or 250 years ago now? The pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That was the definition of religion. What is your duty to your fellow man? To love him. Not to live at his expense. Not to send men to his house and force them to contribute to your welfare. By men who exercise authority. That is the antithesis of pure religion. You've been doing that. For 50 to 100 years now, to one degree or another, and the degree has been going up. You're losing access to your inalienable rights granted you by God because you have neglected your inalienable responsibility to God to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is why you're in the problem you're having today. And that is why the coronavirus has been a problem. Because the coronavirus is not actually a problem. We, we'll talk a little bit about that, some of the things that you could do. Hopefully we'll get to that in the next hour. But pretty sure I've already had the coronavirus. I got a pretty extensive report last night from people who've been on the phone listening directly to the President of the United States and what he has a plan for reopening the states. And uh, I would not want his job. I can guarantee you that. I don't know what his pure motivations are or impure motivations are. I think he really cares about America, but he too may lack knowledge. I think all kinds of things are going on. There's all kinds of parties playing out. There's huge bizarre things behind the scenes. I can't even talk about some of them. 
I will talk about them with the ministers when they ask uh, poignant questions. But the reality is, is that what I talked about being citizens of the individual states, you're no longer citizens of the individual states. You're residents in the individual states. You're all citizens of the United States government. You're all federal persons for the most part. Now, there might be some out there that are not federal persons, but you cannot unbecome a federal person simply because you file some papers or or make some outlandish claims. You can't undo it because being a federal person by its nature puts you in debt. You're surety for the federal debt, which is skyrocketing as we speak. What's going to come in the future? Well, if we get time, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. And I'll just give you hints because I'm not, I'm not going to be prophetic about it. But if you understand the past, you know the future. Because we repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Rome fell for a reason. And because of covetous practices that turn the people into perfect savages. You could say zombies. <laughs> turn the people into zombies. Where they went around devouring who they will. And they did it to these golems, these corporate institutions that they've created. You, your parents have sold you back into the bondage of Egypt. Your grandparents, your parents, for generations now, we've been steadily selling ourselves back into the bondage of Egypt. In the bondage of Egypt, one-fifth of everything you produced, your labor, belonged to the government. That was the bondage of Egypt. Today... Pretty much more than one-fifth of your labor goes to the government because it's worse with you today than it was back then. Now, I'm not, I'm not accusing the government of anything. I'm not, I, I'm not cursing the king or the president or the prime minister if you have one in, one of those in your country or the, whatever it is you got in your country. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just telling you how you got there. And what's the process? And it's the same process that brings about cancer in your body. It's the same process that makes it so that coronavirus has power over you and can make you sick. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit when we come back. And we'll keep relating it to the body of Christ and the body of the world. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we, you know, when I plan these programs, I, I do a lot of studying during the week in my, uh, now that I have a smartphone, I can do it while I'm out working and, uh, or late at night and I put these things together and I put together a whole plan for the radio program, but then, uh, Christ warns us about over planning these things. And so, I mean, I actually, you know, I ponder about it, I pray about it, but I don't know really what I'm going to talk about until I start talking about it. If you're on the network and you want me to talk about particular subjects, get a hold of your minister, and your minister will communicate with me and tell me what people want to hear about. That's the way to do it. Don't send me private emails, especially if you're not in a congregation. You can do it that way, but it's better if you give me that information through the network. 
Because Christ created a network, commanded that we create a network of people who are want to practice pure religion. That's what Christ commanded. And that is so amazing that we have people who are claimed to be students of the Bible for years and they don't know that Christ commanded that we organize a network. And that's what the militia was. The militia was a network. Am I telling you to organize a militia? No, I'm telling you to start back where Christ said to go. And he said to organize yourselves in tens, hundreds, and thousands, in ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands, in groups of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Organize yourself. And there's not going to be any daily administration until you do that. Christ commanded that you do that. No loaves and fishes until you organize yourselves into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Christ commanded that. And we see in history, for those of you who actually study the history of the, the church established by Jesus Christ, not the church established by all the other people that want to do establish the church, who crept in and changed the way we look at the gospel of the kingdom and tell you that, you know, translate five different Greek words into the single English word world, And distort your view of the gospel of the kingdom so that you can now be of the world and still think you're of Christ. That isn't the way it works. If you're of Christ, if you're a part of his church, his called out, that's the word that we see translated into church, then you cannot be of the world. You cannot be of the world. Now, you can be in the congregation, you might be of the world, because you're in bondage. And and the early Testaments talk about men who are in bonds, and bond servants. And uh, literally entangle again in the elements of the world. They're of the world, because they're entangled in the elements of the world. Now, you want to not be entangled in the elements of the world. You may choose it rather by going another way. And that way is the way of Christ. And that way starts with you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands with the motivation and spirit of Christ, which is to serve others. You don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you can be free. You sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in the spirit of Christ so that you may serve others that they might live. That has to be your motivation. That's why you go to the church, the called out, to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and those tens are connected with hundreds, and those hundreds are connected with thousands by way of the ministers you choose to help you connect so that you are the kingdom of God. Some of you still bound in obligations to the world until the world collapses. You know, like I say, everybody's going to be free someday because the system of the world will fail. It is the unrighteous mammon. It offers you the wages of unrighteousness, benefits at the expense of your neighbor. All explained in detail in the New Testament, but that ear-tickling ministers just pass over it and say that 
we're following Christ, we're doing great things in Christ's name, but they're actually doing things exactly the opposite of the way that Christ commanded us to do them. They got you gathering under the men who exercise authority if you want the benefits that they have to offer, which are the benefits, the unrighteous benefits of the world, the rewards of the world that come to you by at the, at, and at the expense of your neighbor. You, you have no daily ministration in your churches that provides for the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity alone. Your religion is spotted by the world. It, it, you're, you're elderly, you're sick, you're infirm, are provided for and taken care of by the world, by the men who exercise authority one over the other. You are not following the teachings of Christ. And so, you have become, by this failure, workers of iniquity. You can write that down. You don't need to write it down. It's already written down in the New Testament. It tells you that Christ is going to say to those who think they are Christians, followers of Christ, Get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. What is the iniquity? They are coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. This is bad news for those who don't want to hear the good news. And a lot of people don't want to hear the good news. The good news is you can repent. You can turn around and go the other way. And that way is the way of light and the way of life. Somebody was writing on Facebook that light can destroy the virus. Some people were talking uh, in videos that I saw on Facebook just this morning about, you know, they were reading reports on what kills the virus. And, of course, that's a misnomer to begin with. What viscerates the virus, breaks it down so it can no longer spread itself through the replication within your own cells. What breaks it down? Light. Light breaks it down. Why, when we first started talking about this, and, and by the end of today, I'll have, you know, we've already shared all the audios up until, uh, I don't know, what was the date, the 28th or something, <laughs> uh, with uh, the people in the network. And uh, we will continue to do that, share our audios as we put them together and, and we uh, fulfill our agreements with the live radio broadcast. We will release those to everybody. But uh, really, a lot of these messages are timely, so you should be hearing them directly. But the ministers hopefully will hear them, and they can share that information with you. But this is a timeless message, and it's really the same message, which is the message of Christ. Is that you have to care about others, love others as much as you love yourself. And the way to do that, according to Christ, was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And become the entire social welfare of a society and a community 
That's the people who share a common communion through a daily ministration. They actually had the archbishop in New Jersey, I think he actually is a cardinal, uh, agreeing that they would not have drive-by communion. Where people drive by and the priest puts a little, because uh, they had a couple of priests who had the coronavirus that were handing out communion. Now, personally, I'm not afraid of the coronavirus. And I think I've already had it. And uh, developed immunity, which we talked about in the beginning of the show. You need that robust immunity system, immune system. And the way you get that is that you are exposed to illnesses and your body through the grace of God and through the, the wisdom of God, will fight off those illnesses and you will become stronger through that process. If you bypass the system, which we explained in great detail with exosomes and the fact that you're producing, all a virus is is an exosome from another living creature that does not belong in your body. And this one supposedly came originally from bats who love to live in darkness. <laughs> if that isn't a metaphor with a message. Anyway, that that bat from hell has released exosomes into the environment. Other creatures have picked it up and now passed it on to humans. And humans are now passing it on like all big lies are replicated in people who receive the lie and pass it on to others. If it is exposed to the light in this process, it immediately begins to break down. Those little proteins on the end become shriveled and useless and they can no longer unlock your cells. And even if you breathe them in, they can't get into your cells and therefore will not get replicated and you will not get sick. If the light is fully within you, you may not get sick anyway. But most of you, including myself, the light is not fully in me. I mean, I have, I've seen a lot of evil lurking about these last few days. And you need to almost be in a constant state of prayer. But you need to be praying to the God of heaven and not the gods of the world. And the reality is most of the people who go to church, most of their daily bread and prayers are provided by the gods of this world. That's the gods of the constitutional order and system of government that has now deemed it a sin to go outside, to ride public transportation without a mask, to go to work. They say that's a sin. And they have deemed that that is evil, so you can be arrested for doing these things. And they have a right to do that because you've neglected your responsibility of exercising pure religion. You show me the church. There there are a few out there. But you show me that your church is providing all the social welfare through faith, hope, and charity alone. And then I will believe that your religion is unspotted by the world. If the people in your congregations are provided for by men who exercise authority by taking away from your neighbor, you're not following Christ. You actually have become workers of iniquity. And now you know it, so now you know you have need of repentance. I know you're not going to turn around and change that overnight, but you turn around and head towards the kingdom by doing what Christ actually said to do. So that's where you need to be in that repentance process and going that way. And that's what we offer to people is show them how that process works. Now, what's coming down the pike 
is clearly an attempt for forced vaccinations. We've seen it before. We're seeing it now. You won't be able to go back to work. You won't be able to fly on planes. You won't be able to, if this is completely implemented. And if they don't get it this time, they'll get it next time. So what do you do about that? Do you want to get that vaccination? I know many of you probably think that that's a cure-all, and that is your salvation, a vaccination. But a vaccination bypasses that natural immune system. It does not strengthen your immune system. It bypasses it because a part of your immune system is to recognize that foreign identity that has come into your body, entered into one of your living cells, you have a billion of them, and has asked that cell by its presence to replicate it. And your cell replicates its own demise. Now, nobody's dying of coronavirus. They're dying of other things that are going on in their bodies, which probably shouldn't be going on in their body. But that's another whole topic. And we talked about a lot of that already. And we we may talk about it when we get to some of the remedies for uh, I'm going to try to put them all together. If you think there are any remedies for the coronavirus, send them to me through the network, and I will add them to the list. But the reality is is that, uh, and when I say remedies, remedies for good health. And if you have good health, you will overcome the virus. And there really isn't anything to be afraid of. There are certain people in society because of age, 91-year-olds, and older or 80 year olds i'm over 70 and i i had it so there uh, there are things you can do that will help viscerate the virus so that it does not get a hold in your body but you will know what those things are the more you become not of the world and the more you let light into your life which is understanding of christ into your life and the more you become a doer of the word of Christ, which means sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, and turn your back on the unrighteous benefits of those who want to live by force, fear, and violence, and the fealty to the world. And so, anyway, I've repeated that over and over again, said it in numerous different ways, so... How do we get to the point where we are free of this identity crisis so that when a foreign body, the next virus, this is not a very strong virus, not a very lethal virus. Uh, that's We've been saying that all along, but now even uh, the Daily Wire came out and said that. And they're reducing all across the board, they're reducing their predictions of millions upon millions of Americans dying down to uh, maybe a hundred thousand, maybe sixty thousand. We had over sixty one thousand die in the flu season twenty seventeen. Uh over uh sixty one thousand people died. Now they're padding the numbers. We have doctor testimonies that they got letters saying that any kind of flu whatsoever that uh symptoms that somebody shows just attributed to coronavirus. Well, if every doctor in the United States is doing that, some of the doctors said this is terrible and they're they're blowing the whistle. But if every doctor is doing that, then the numbers are going to climb. And that's why you see some of the spikes already because they're actually going back and attributing deaths that they don't know were coronavirus. It's interesting. You know, I, I, I talked to people last night who 
are communicating with the hospitals and communicating with the administrators and commun- and, and seeing what's going on with the doctors. And they're actually people being barred from talking to the doctors because there is kind of a, a conspiracy of ignorance. You know, I don't want to use conspiracy. There's always conspiracies out there. Somebody's always plotting to get some sort of advantage. I mean, the airlines wanted all those trillions of dollars to go to them. They didn't care about all those little businesses that are going out of business, those family businesses that were built up maybe over several generations that are being absolutely devastated by this shutdown because they're not making any money. But they're still supposed to pay rent. And uh, many of them will have to sell out. And who will be there with lots of money to buy them? The airlines. They'll buy them and they'll put them in their corporate airline businesses and now they will have more of a cartel than they already had. But it will end up being devastated because those people who had dedicated their lives to building those businesses could run them much better than the bureaucrats of the airlines. So it is by their growth, they are, which is almost cancerous in nature, they're going to absolutely, I mean, it will eventually lead to more plane crashes than you can imagine <laughs> and a breakdown of the system because they're get, getting so biggy, big and top heavy, they will become more and more less efficient. You will see rounds of inflation eventually because these trillions of dollars that are being pumped into the system, trillions upon trillions of dollars pumped into the system, there will be a boom. Probably when things open up, and that seems to be the order, according to the people that were on the phone with the president, the order is they want to start opening the states by May 1st. The states, and then I'm going to tie this together to see if we got enough time. Maybe we'll do it in this section of the show. The states, like, as an example, California, Oregon, with their outlaw governor, <laughs> Because Kate Brown is not the lawful governor of Oregon. She's acting as that because you've all become a bunch of weak automaton sheep and you don't even enforce the laws you made in your constitution. You don't even know how to do it because you haven't been doing what Christ told you to do, which is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. If all the Christians... People claiming to be Christians were doing what Christ said and commanded us to do from the beginning instead of all this denominationalism and this ear tickling that's going on. If they were sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and just taking care of 20% of the social welfare of their congregations, they would already have a network that could read the Constitution, Article 2, Section 22, which you can look up on our website, Preparing You and find out about. It's just a matter of record. And see that Kate Brown is not the lawful or uh, governor of Oregon. She's posing as that, but she's actually a felon. Yeah, that's right. I'm using that word, felon. She should be arrested for trespassing in the governor's office. All her executive of, uh, orders should just go away instantly. And even the Secretary of State doesn't cooperate with this. You can prosecute her because she was appointed by uh, Kate Brown, who was not the governor at the time. She appointed her. She's pretending to be the governor, but she is not. And you could do this, but it's your responsibility. If you don't know how to exercise your responsibility as a free people, 
Because you haven't been doing what Christ said. You're all denominationalized in your own little religious ideas instead of doing what Christ. You would have your network already in place to implement this and to take it to the courts and oust her in an instant. You don't have to recall her. There's nothing to recall her from. She's not the governor. But you don't know how to do that because you haven't been doing what Christ said. So you're ill-prepared. You could repent and change that, but you would have to... Start doing what Christ commanded and sit down in that network. And what would you be doing in that network? Instead of just going to church and getting your ears tickled, you'd be starting to take care of home education. You would start taking care of home health. You would start learning how to uh, fend off this virus so that you would be healthier and come out of this with a more robust immune system so that your children and your children's children would be better prepared for the next virus that is introduced into the system. And you would be able to survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, <laughs> like early Christians did. But since you haven't done that, she's in power, and she's gotten together with the governor of California and the governor of Washington, and they saying they're not going to open up until they all open up. They form their little consortium. They're gathering together. You're not. So you're at a disadvantage because you haven't done what Christ said. So anyway, the president has given an order to open up by May 1st, but he's allowing the states to make that decision. Now, the states are going to probably say something to the effect, and I'm just generalizing, there's not a million people listening to this, so I'm not letting too much of the cat out of the bag. But the states are going to say the counties, which are supposed to be republics and have not been for a hundred years, but should be. And if they would repent too, they could go back that way. The counties haven't given them directions as to how to open up. So they don't know how to open up. So they will feign ignorance to the president and not open up on May 1st because the counties are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The counties are not doing what they're supposed to be doing because the wards are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. You don't even know what ward you're in. And the wards are not doing what they're supposed to be doing because the people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and decide how we're going to open this up. Not to sit there and yell and scream and protest that we're going to open up, but to actually get together as a community, as a society, and decide how you want to open up. And then tell your county commissioners, and your county commissioners can go to the pretend governor and say, here's the plan. The plans are virtually almost written in common sense right now. But the, the prima facie evidence of the governments of the world has to be put on paper. So you have the means by which to do this. And all you need is a few honest men to step forward. And they will work, because a lot of people, I've talked to people all the time, and, a lot, and I, have, I talk to people who talk to even more people. A lot of people know there's something up. The numbers have never been matching the hysteria that we were fed through the media malpractice and of people like the Washington Post and CNN and all these, if, if Fox News, everybody, have been creating this mass hysteria to be frightened of what is little more than a flu virus and not a very strong one, certainly not as lethal. Like I say, everybody's rolling back their numbers. If you have 
3,000 cases in uh, your state or in, you know, or or 28,000 cases in the United States, you can multiply that number. Actually, no, it was more than that. It's 28,000. I can't even remember now what, what the number was. 600,000, 633,000 cases. You can multiply that number times a factor of at least 85. And that's how many cases have been out there. Well, all those people are already immune. They are blocking the spread of this virus. The more you get in that category, which is the survivors of this, and and anybody in good health should be able to survive this if they don't do some stupid things, which we'll talk about probably in the afternoon show, and do, do some smart things, they will become survivors, and they will become the militia against the virus. They not only will become the militia against the virus, they will stop the spread of the virus by their mere presence. They By going out and mingling without social distance, they are going to stop the spread of the virus and protect those vulnerable people. The more you delay that, the more of those vulnerable people will die. You will have a greater spike because of that. So what is it that you should be doing because there's another factor to this, and I'll have to talk about it in the next half of the show. I'll mention it. I've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again because I really think it's part of the body of Christ. Not only do we become the light, we become the lightsaver. Anyway, we'll be right back. Well, I've been busy during the break. I talked to a government official who may come on the afternoon show. He actually would come on this show, but uh, I have a little bit more control and we'll have a little bit more time on the afternoon show because we don't have much left on this show. I also was in contact with one of our ministers in another part of the country, and I also pulled up my notes on uh, how to fight the virus. Now, I, I laid a little bit of <laughs> groundwork and I get a little bit farther with the programming uh, to make all the audios that uh, are now available, available on this subject. So I actually think that, you know, you should be, uh, if you're a big one for podcasts, look for Keys of the Kingdom podcasts. Uh, go to his uh, keysofthekingdom.info. Uh, go to hisholychurch.org. Go to preparingyou.com. Uh, join the network. And uh, start sharing these things with other people because this is a perspective, a kingdom perspective, that is the road to liberty under God. And uh, it means that you have to take back your responsibility. And the way in which to do that is to do what Christ said, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and actually put the deeds of your love into action. And start caring about others if you want others to care about you. Because as you judge, so shall ye be judged. And that's part of the cure of this, uh, dealing with this virus and dealing with all diseases, including cancer. Uh, it is bringing light unto the world. And we know that light is one of those things that dis- de- disintegrates the viability of a, a exosome, which we call a virus, from a foreign entity. It has to leave that foreign entity and enter into you. You know, and the proteins on the coronavirus are, some say, identical to the proteins 
uh, although it cannot be 100% identical, to some degree it's, uh, there is a uniformity to the HIV as well as uh, MERS and uh, the Middle Eastern virus that was traveling around uh, a few years ago. And anyway, so the, the fact is is that shedding light on these things, even for a little while, uh, the right kind of light, you know, like sunlight and uh, or UV lights, will cause those proteins to start breaking down almost immediately. We have a picture of a common virus on uh, the website at preparingyou.com, and that's where I'm putting these audios so that you can get access to them. But like I say, if you... If you download podcasts, Keys of the Kingdom, you will get those as soon as they become available and as soon as we're posting them up. And uh, if you join the network, you'll get them that way. But uh, if you're a lot of people like to listen to podcasts in their car and on their phone, that's a good way to keep in touch with what's going on. Because the virus is an interesting a set a scenario that is going around and the hysteria that has been accompanying that virus is just absolutely remarkable how the people have just been absolutely defeated by this hysteria and uh, been plagued that is the plague is this fear that has run rampant through the people so Anyway, uh, some of the things I put down in my notes was breaking primary, breaking news from uh, Daily Wire was primary American coronavirus models drops Florida death estimates by over 70%. Now, they're still padding uh, the amount of deaths that are attributed to the coronavirus, and there are several viruses going around, but they all fought the same way. And they're all dealt with the same way, although the, some will be uh, going after the T2 cells in your lungs and then creating complications from that. But they do it by entering into those cells and then are replicated by those cells because those cells do not recognize this foreign identity. Now, your cells are going around, we've talked about this, I won't go into details, but are going around doing uh, a billion operations a day to keep you healthy. They're unselfishly going about sacrificing their time and energy to keep your body healthy. And they're doing this because of a spiritual presence in your body that wants them to do this unselfishly. If you become a selfish person on the outside, that spirit of selfishness will begin to spread like a disease to your cells. And if you are lazy, your cells will become lazy. If you are drugged, your cells will be drugged. And they will not do their job and they will not keep you healthy. You can drug them with alcohol. I'm not saying you can't have any little wine for thy stomach. I'm just talking about drugging your body with alcohol, tobacco, uh, marijuana, Let's see, some of that sugar, carbohydrates. You can drug your body with these things. I'm not saying you can't have any sugar or you can't have any carbohydrates, although some of you, your health is so bad, you may want to cut some of those things out more. We know, we've done reports that 
during the polio outbreaks back in the 20s and 30s, they found that when people stopped the consumption of sugar to the extent that they had been during most of the summers in New York by drink, eating lots of ice cream and candies and stuff, they, they cut that out. Cases of polio, visible cases of polio dropped. Same number of people were getting polio because it was still present in the water. It was still being passed around through society, through the normal way that viruses and polio especially is transmitted. But you were not seeing the cases because 95% of the cases of polio went unseen. You, you got polio, you developed immunity, you got well, and you were now immune to polio. And now you are stopping the spread of polio because you were part of that militia against the virus. It could no longer, your cells would not replicate it because you had immunity. Now that immunity has to spread through your whole body, but that, and that was, that's a muscular nervous system type, uh, disease. It wasn't going after the lungs, although the lungs would shut down eventually if you got severely ill with it. Because of the fact that your nervous system was affected by it. But most of the people got over polio and didn't even know they had polio. Maybe had mild, mild symptoms. But when they cut down the sugar consumption during this vulnerable period when most people were getting it. They weren't getting it usually in the dead of winter. They were getting it when people were swimming in the water because that was one of the ways they get it. That the visible cases dropped. So instead of 95% being asymptomatic or almost asymptomatic, it was like 98% or 99% were asymptomatic. That's what you want to do with the coronavirus. Half of the people who get coronavirus show very little symptoms. And if you had the right kind of diet and the right kind of care and the right kind of lifestyle and you're young and healthy like a lot of young kids and stuff like that, although they could be a lot healthier and it's amazing how unhealthy our systems are and why. That's a big, long topic in itself. They would get the virus, they would become immune, and they would start shedding exosomes that are spreading immunity in their own bodies. Because this is a lung issue, a respiratory issue, they would likely spread those exosomes that are passing in their system, telling each cell to not have anything to do with the coronavirus, that's the antibodies, they would start shedding these antibodies. Now, there's testing going on that is virology testing. There is a variety. We know that the PCR tests were absolutely bogus. The guy who invented the PCR test back in the 80s said it was never to be used as a diagnostic tool. But if you look up PCR tests in the Wikipedia and other places in medical magazines, They're saying it's a a diagnostic tool. The guy who invented it said it is not to be used for a diagnostic tool. It is very poor. It can only be used if you actually have the separated out the molecular structure of that which you're looking for. They haven't done that. So it doesn't work. When they say, oh, we were tested and he tested positive or he tested negative, that is a complete fiction. Any doctor who's telling you that, he doesn't know what he's talking about or he knows what he's talking about and he's just snowing you. And that's a fact. You can look that up. Facebook may not like to hear that, but that's a fact. 
That is ignorant doctors. And there are lots of them out there. There's some really smart ones and there's some really dumb ones. No guarantee because you graduated, you know what you're talking about. Doctors disagree on a regular basis. So anyway, um, the reality is these things are not what we think they are and uh, the the solution. See, once those people are shedding exosomes that are that are actually carrying the code to resist this virus and it will vary from person to person because some people that they they if they shed the exosomes it won't do much good but some people will actually spread the cure social distancing stops that <laughs> now there is we should have social distance from the for the very vulnerable the very aged the immune compromised the people who are sick already and, and uh, but uh, you know a lot of the people that are dying, you know, not the aged so much. I mean, we can't do anything about that. Well, we can do some things about that. You can age more gracefully and with better health if you take care of yourself. But um, the people who are obese, the people who are diabetic and not watching their diet, they're just taking insulin all the time. Those are the ones who are vulnerable. The people that are living selfish lifestyles, getting drunk, uh, taking drugs, they are vulnerable. They are in danger. But they have created most of that danger themselves from a lack of personal discipline. So anyway, they're all rolling back the numbers which we told you about weeks and weeks ago that are false numbers to begin with that didn't add up by the early studies. And I, I looked again, I went back and read the studies again that had come out to see if there was any changes out of the Diamond Princess uh, studies. Uh, and it, it keeps verifying that the death rate is way lower than they're saying. And now that we're finding it spread around. But these tests that they're now coming up, there's a pinprick test being used in Colorado at Tularide. They tried a different test, but they couldn't keep up. Now they're using the uh, biometric test that comes out of China, I believe. Uh, they, they have corporations in the United States, so you think they're coming <laughs> out of the United States. But bio, there's another company, BioAmerica, uh, or, or I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's not Biomedic, it's the other one. Uh, that requires actual more blood. That will give you probably a more accurate reading, but we don't know yet. All these virology tests need to be compared, and they just don't have the time. But they're showing that there are more and more cases. In Tularide, there doesn't seem to be very many cases, but they're using the pinprick test, so we don't know. But that's a very isolated community. It'd be very interesting to keep those tests, and they even admit one test doesn't tell you all, to see the progression of this disease. Because this disease is actually a cure. It will make you healthier. So you don't die out like the Indians died out. No, it wasn't their fault. They just didn't have that robust immune system because they hadn't developed the trade routes that they did in Europe. When we developed those trade routes in Europe, we had millions upon millions of Europeans die. And because they died, because of these diseases that went around, those who survived became more robust. Those are the ones who immigrated here to America. The Indians were at a disadvantage because they didn't have, they hadn't gone through that death period. So they, a lot of them died at our arrival. If they had done it the other way around, we would have seen the other thing happen in Europe. We wouldn't have had the robust immune system and their diseases that were in America would have uh, decimated us and, and millions of 
Europeans died when they came over here because they didn't have immunity to some of those new diseases. So the coronavirus is a novel new virus. It is fast spreading. And so it's liable to have a higher death rate. But again, only amongst those people that are unhealthy or don't do the right thing to deal with the virus. Because we see a lot of people doing the wrong thing to deal with the virus. And so I was going to talk about some of these things. So uh, one of the things is that medical and health systems are not as open as the, and I distinguish those two, medical and health systems. Medical has to do with this alopecia, this this uh, system of the AMA, and health system has to do with all, all kinds of things like diet, exercise, a lifestyle. That is dealing with the body as a whole. Almost nobody in the pharmaceutical industry of medicine is going to talk to you about diet. But originally where they claim like Hippocrates and people like that and Pythagoras were talking about let food be thy medicine. So anyway, we're uh when we start distinguishing that, I thought I would look at my notes here and uh, uh we the medical system is taking away choices. They're about control and you don't want your health system to be about control because one size doesn't fit all. We need to be based in compassion, not in cash. We can't have a profit motive to our health care. And uh, when I say health care, I'm not talking about government health care. I'm talking about God's government health care. We should be caring for one another, taking care of one another. One of the things I encourage everybody to have is have those grand uh, mother-in-law cabins out back, a guest quarters out back. If you did that, you would, everybody would have an isolation ward. You can get tax incentives to build such things. Little independent little cottages where you could put somebody who was sick or might become vulnerable if there was a disease going around. And uh, and you can also put your mother-in-law there <laughs> and your grandparents or whatever and take care of them because that's what we should all be doing. That would be a part of our medical facilities and because everybody would have them in their backyard or adjacent to their house, that we would have this expandable medical system. What we see in Italy, they did not have an expandable medical system. They had a socialist system. We have a socialist system for much of America, certainly in New York. They could have expanded and dealt with this in their hospitals but they have been decreasing their hospitals and hospital beds. And we talk about that in our article on coronavirus at Preparing You. I added a few more things on that subject as well. And uh, uh, so you don't want that. Uh, it, it would make, if you had that, you would have a scalable resources to deal with real plagues if they ever showed up. This is not a real plague. It's a pandemic because it's worldwide, but it's not a plague. Uh, we would have innovation and flexibility instead of rules and regulations. And this would give you the opportunity to deal with the different issues that we come up with different, different diseases that come into your system. Again, the militia was not just, you know, they had plagues back then. The militia was, would come and do people's chores while they were sick with smallpox or whatever that they were getting or fevers. That's what the militia was doing. That was creating bonds in society. They weren't just walking around with 
fatigues on, like there was an Oregon, Southern Oregon militia. They were out helping people with uh, insurance scams and and uh, violations by government and exposing uh, corruption in the county governments where people were taking graft and corruption. They weren't just marching around in the woods claiming to be some sort of military force. The militia was the people in action. That creates bonds which allows you, if you're thinking kingdom of the people for the, all voluntary, all a voluntary system that is actually helping people out on all sorts of levels, that creates the bond so that when you have an outlaw government or an outlaw governor, you can get rid of them in a minute. I mean, it should take, you know, a couple of days and she would be out of office. And it would be that way if you were actually, all those who claimed to be Christians were actually doing what Christ said. But anyway, then you would have also this line of communication, not censorship. We see the censorship coming out of Facebook and stuff like that and putting, you know, uh, bogus information over the truth. They do that on a regular basis. Now, there's a lot of bogus information out there, but we need ready access to information and we need to create our own filters. And through a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, you would create those filters. You would know who was reliable in the little things so that when the big things came along, you would know who was reliable in the big things. And you would that's how you become a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. But if you're not going to do that... You're not going to create those communication networks. You won't know what to do. You'll be all sitting in your homes waiting for somebody to give you the green light to come out. And then those of you who get angry will come out with an angry spirit, which is not what you want, which we'll cover in the next section. Uh, we want to be promoting life uh, and not taking away the livelihood of others. Life of others becomes as important to us as our own life. The business of others becomes as important to us as our own business. That is the nature of the kingdom. That is the spirit of the kingdom. It is not putting a our livelihood above the livelihood of others. It is an unselfish approach to things. So that's what we need. Um, we need uh, also uh, a spiritual presence in us. Jesus says, fear not. This whole hysteria has come about because of fear, fear, fear. Every corner of the media is preaching fear. And even the government agencies. And now even the doctors are pervasively controlled by fear. They're afraid to talk to somebody with another opinion. It's unbelievable. Hate, anger. They're mad at people who don't keep their social distancing because they think social distancing is their salvation. As more and more people become immune, social distancing is not what you want. You want to be coming together with those people because those people will help bring the cure to you. Uh, judge not, uh, lest ye be judged. We have brought this on ourselves because we've neglected the Spirit of Christ. Uh, in our churches, and in, in, in I'm saying our churches, in his church, you can't do that. If you're neglecting righteousness, it's not his church. If you're tickling the ears of your people, telling them what they want to hear to make them feel comfortable, you're drugging them the same as if you were giving them a narcotic. That's why when they said religion is the opiate of the people... 
Impure religion is the opiate of the people. Pure religion awakens the light of Christ in the people. But pure religion is unspotted by the unrighteous rewards of the benefactors who exercise authority. So what else kills? Now, if you have those spiritual elements, you will begin to see these other things. Like I said, heat, sunlight, uh, disseminates this virus. There's, there was one guy saying that the virus is destroyed at 80 degrees. Well, 98 0.6 degrees is what's going on in your body. So I don't know how long it has to be at 80 degrees. I know that when I was sick, I actually took a hot bath. I mean, seriously hot bath. I don't take many baths. I use showers. But I actually submerged myself in hot Epsom salt water. That gave me tremendous relief. I still went through two days where I was shut down. And uh, the second day, I didn't do anything but evening chores or helped with evening chores. And it went through everybody in the household eventually. But we were we were able to handle this together and everybody got well. Sunlight uh, is really good. We know viruses, be, you know, you look at our video at Preparing You on Coronavirus, uh, Kurt's uh, video, I think it's still up there. Uh, he talks about as soon as the people get out in the sun and get out on the beach and out in the country... The flu viruses begin to disappear because sunlight destroys those viruses, uh, breaks them down so that they cannot be infective. Uh, fresh air, really important to stimulate your system. You should be up before the sun, out there breathing fresh air. Uh, exercise, you have to get the blood flowing through your body so that when you start producing those exosomes, they get everywhere. Otherwise, you may have a relapse because some of your cells will not be immune and then that you can get reinfected in those cells who haven't got the message yet through your whole exosome network in your body. This is the same thing. Now, you, you telegraph these same principles over to the kingdom of God, which is a network, just like your body. That's why we call it the body of Christ. They can spread other things and information so that you can overcome these problems. Uh, there's a number of other things, and maybe we'll talk about them in the show this afternoon if we have time. But just no sugar, no Advil, no ibuprofen, zinc, along with lemon juice, lime juice. Uh, corona is always better with lime, if you get the joke there. But... Uh, uh, you need to know your body, and that means you need to know the truth about yourself. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.